Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guests today, and I say guests because we have two of them. Brett Cooper and Evans Kerrigan help professionals like you build work relationships that really work. Over the last 20 years, they've influenced thousands of people in government, nonprofits, and corporate America to work together in more productive, more effective, and more human ways. Through Integris Performance Advisors, the firm they both co-founded, Brett and Evans have helped clients increase employee engagement, improve efficiency, and generate hundreds of millions in financial benefit. Brett and Evans are frequent speakers on team dynamics, leadership, and operational excellence, and are both the co-authors of the new book, Solving the People Problem, Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. So again, I'm thrilled to have both of them with us today. And Evans, I'd love to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and perhaps how you currently uh, integrate with the marketplace? Sure, sure. Happy to, Ed. Uh, So uh, one of the founders of Integris, uh, and we actually formed this firm when we were both doing work with continuous improvement with organizations, and we noticed a need, which drives all business uh, uh, ingenuity. And that need was, what we found was we were doing a really good job of improving business processes, but not hitting actually at at what we found were some of the most critical business processes that really were, which is how we lead people, how we work in teams, and how we integrate with one another. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to actually bring that to help improve the results that organizations were able to get at improving their business process by improving how we could communicate with one another, how we worked with one another. So we've been doing that work with Integris since 2011. So coming up on our 10th anniversary here, and we've been able to help a lot of our clients actually see much better results in either continuous improvement work or in any other work they're doing as an organization, as we've worked with them to help them improve how they communicate with one another. And a couple of years ago, we decided, you know what, there's only so many people we can actually talk to directly. And we think we've got some stuff that people need to hear that that people can apply. So we decided we were going to write a book, put a book together so that other people could be impacted by this as well and see the impact they could have both in their work life as well as in their overall life. Well, terrific. And I have read the book and I love the 
perspective that you share, and I hope we'll talk a little bit about that as well. How about you, Brett? Yeah, you know, Evans mentioned the uh, the idea that you know we we help people build work relationships that really work, and I think this is a perfect topic for your show, Ed, because really we we could take that and we could say we help people be brave at work, because if if we think about bravery being a kind of the definition of bravery, the way we look at it anyway, is showing mental or moral strength kind of in the face of difficulty or uncertainty. The kind of work we do and the kind of ideas that we share in solving the people problem are really all about how do we enable that to happen? How do we enable people to have greater strength when there is some uncertainty or they're stepping into a more difficult kind of a situation. Uh, one of the one of the research findings that really drives a lot of what Evans and I do, and, and we quoted this in the book too, it's a, it was a study from a couple of years ago that looked at conflict in the workplace. And it, it found that the number one cause for negative conflict in the workplace was personality clashes. Right. And so, so much of the work that we do is essentially helping people understand, well, we all have personalities, right? It's not the existence of personalities. That's the problem. What the problem is, is many of us don't understand what those different personalities mean, and we don't really honor those differences. So, a lot of the work that we do, uh, again, in the book, in the speeches that we do, in the training that we do, in the coaching that we do, really is driven towards exactly that. How do we help them interact, communicate more effectively with other people so they can be braver when they need to be brave? Well, one of the reasons I love having you both on the show today is because of this concept of workplace effectiveness. And oftentimes, the need to be braver becomes either an obstacle or you know a reason I don't move forward in ways that could help a person with a different personality preference or a different style or a team or an organization be more effective. So I'm wondering if one of you could talk a little bit about maybe you know workplace effectiveness as it relates to the the need to be braver in saying what needs to be said or doing what needs to be done. Sure, I'll hop in and then Brett, you can add anything you want to this uh, part of the conversation, because I think this one could go on for a while. So I'll try and keep it pretty short. <laughs> um, for us, uh, I mean, we wrote a book called Solving the People Problem. And, and as Brett alluded to, it's it's not the fact that people are different. It's the fact that we don't understand those differences. We don't know what to do with them. And what we find time and time again with the clients that we work with is that when we are talking with other people, we see people looking at interactions in terms of their way and wrong. And, and that just adds so much friction to any kind of communication we're trying to have. And part of what, uh, what our work has enabled people to do is understand that it's not right and wrong, it's different. And that those differences actually all bring value to the table. So what we need to understand is I need to be careful about when I read somebody's reaction and I think I know what they're thinking because they're different than I am. And what we find is so many people don't step up to even small frictions or small risks because they they make them bigger in their mind because another person is different. So it, it adds a layer of complexity to every interaction that we have. And, and, and part of this is about if I want to be brave, there's actually an aspect of bravery that is a, a little bit about vulnerability. It's about stepping in when I don't know what's going to happen. 
And that's okay. And we all go through it. But we all have that little internal voice that says, you're different from me. So it must mean you're thinking this. And, and that's just not right. So we're trying to give people a language and a way of thinking about it to be able to honor those differences and be able to step into those conversations. And what we find is when they start to do that, a lot of the things that seemed really risky in the past seem a lot less so as they've started to have a more honest conversation with one another. You know, I, one of the things I love is this idea of personality differences. And, you know, I've always wondered why in high school and junior high and college, we didn't teach people about the fact that people are different and not everybody thinks like you and people do think differently. And there are ways to manage those relationships effectively. Yet to me, this seems like a huge cultural gap between what we teach people and reality. Uh, do either of you have any comments or observations on this, what I call a gap between reality and and what we teach and how we grow people. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a huge gap. And it I mean quite honestly, it's it's a large part of the driver of why Evans and I are doing what we're doing these days. We have seen so many examples where there is workplace conflict, there is strife, there are people that just are not getting along. And it all comes down to exactly what you were just saying there. Right? They they just don't have that perspective. They don't they don't take the time to step back and say, oh, maybe this person is just thinking about something different. Maybe they look at the world in a little bit different way. Maybe their energy goes somewhere different first than where my energy goes. Uh, I, I I could cite a number of the stories that we have in the book, but one of them comes to mind in particular because that, as we were writing the book, Ed, we reached out to basically everybody we know, uh, client wise and friends and family, and said, "Hey, tell us your stories related to you know your problems at work and and challenges you're having communicating and getting along with people." And we got some really fantastically insightful stories, and one of the stories that pops to mind right now to me is from a woman named Megan who wrote us a story and and was talking about her boss uh, that every morning. She would come into the office. She would be one of the first people there with her boss being one of the other first people there. And her boss would kind of come in, blow past her desk, not even say hello. And Megan is a, a very people person. She's she's the kind of kind of woman that you, know, you walk into a place and she's going to come over and greet you and just be very warm and welcoming. Well, when her boss just blew past her desk, <laughs> the comment she made in the story was, why does he hate me? Right. And it's, it's like, that's where she went because she looks at, she looked at it from the perspective of, well, if I went in and I blew past somebody and didn't give them the time of day, that would probably mean that I'm either upset with them or I don't like that person. So that's how Megan was thinking about her boss. Well, it turns out uh, Megan continues the story because we did a little bit of work with her and her whole team, and they started doing some of this research on disc personality styles and understanding kind of where people are coming from. And it turns out that her boss is just of the style that is really focused on results, really focused on getting the job done. He doesn't put a whole lot of uh, um, uh, priority on the nice meet and greet kind of stuff. He's a perfectly nice guy, but it's just He's that's just not what he's thinking about at the time. So it, it it helped Megan really understand, OK, he does. It's not that he doesn't like me or it's not that he hates me. It's just his mind is somewhere else. So she she kind of concludes her story of saying, 
I still don't get it, but I chuckle when he does it because now I understand it's not coming from that place of hurt. Well, this is the second gap that I think this creates. The first, of course, is that we don't ever talk about it, and yet it is such a huge influence in our workplace. And then when it does happen, when this gap is created between myself and somebody else, I create reasons on my own, and 99% of those reasons are going to be negative, like I must have said something wrong, or they don't like me, or it's how I'm dressed, right? We don't ever solve it effectively, which makes the gap even broader because now I'm creating reasons that are negative to begin with. So I'm wondering if you've seen that in the clients that you've worked with. Oh, we, we see that happen all the time. It, it, and it's two things. It, it's both the stories we make up are, as you said, they're almost all negative. I think it was Samuel Clements who said, you know, my life was full of troubles, most of which never actually occurred. But it, it's, it's, it's that we create those stories the other aspect of it is that most of them are entirely wrong. It, it, it's not even like we're we're capturing a story that's actually occurring. It's we're just making it up in our head and it creates a limitation. And I, I cannot tell you the number of teams that we have worked with where actually I'm working with a team uh, just recently, all very intelligent people, all really wonderful people. And they have had real trouble trusting one another, having even kind conversations in the workplace, they're all kind people. But all those little perceived slights have added up to an inability to actually communicate. So we started working together. We, we shared a little bit of this idea about style and about the fact that we're all different. And we ended up with a bunch of people kind of laughing as they saw, oh, those differences explain an awful lot of why I thought you hated me or you hated me or whatever it was that, that people had created as this, as this story. And they were kind of like giggling about, oh, that's why things went off the rails in that conversation. I wasn't meeting your needs. You weren't meeting my needs. And neither one of us had any idea. And uh, it, it's created a completely different kind of framework for them to now look at it. And for me, one of the, one of the big pieces that this really kicks in for people is a little bit of intellectual curiosity. Where somebody comes at me and then they've got a different perspective and instead of immediately going to defensiveness and here's why they must be doing it, they go instead from a, a place of curiosity to say, wait a minute, you've got a different perspective. Maybe here's where I could learn something or maybe there's another way I'm, I'm not taking. So it, it completely goes from shut down to actually where we can grow together, where we can get to better answers. So it's amazing the number of problems that used to rise to the level of pulling in senior management that actually start to get handled at a, at, at, at a person-to-person level because we've shared some ideas with them and we've also given them a language to be able to talk about it, a language to be able to approach it. And, and one of the research things that I came across as we were writing for the book was the fact that people tend to think they are emotionally intelligent. And at the same time, the vast majority of them have difficulty even identifying their own emotions unless they're really strong emotions. Well, if we don't have a language to talk about, it's going to be really difficult for us to actually address it. And that's part of what this kind of a framework provides an avenue to get into actually having those deeper discussions about what's really going on and how can we work better together? Well, when people close that gap, as you were saying earlier, and chuckle, 
and giggle, it's almost like a bad I Love Lucy episode, right? Where the reasons that we were separate are so ridiculous that we should never have been separate to begin with. You know, so why don't we do more of this, right? I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on, you know, why don't we teach people earlier about the differences in personality preferences, what the impact of those differences might have, and how I can navigate them to be more effective. Because I would tell you that if I was the ruler of the world, you know, I would teach people this stuff earlier because it would reduce so much of the stress and strain that we self-create at the workplace. Well, Ed, there was a article in Harvard Business Review a few years back uh, written by uh, Zinger Folkman, the folks over at Zinger Folkman, uh, big big training company, and they highlight this problem even more significantly than what you just highlighted it as, because what they found they're they're a big leadership development training uh, organization, and what they found they looked at their database of thirteen thousand some odd people, and they asked two questions: How old were you when you got your first leadership position of any kind? And how old were you when you got your first leadership development training? And the stats that they pulled out of their, their database, 28 years old when they got their first leadership uh, position. And then you want to guess uh, about what age it was when they got their first leadership development training? 42. There you go. It's exactly it. I don't know if you saw the article or if you just you just feel this. But, but, but that right there underscores what we're talking about here, that people get put into leadership positions and then we don't actually give them the skills to step into that leadership role for 14 years in some cases, which is ridiculous. And so to the specifics about this topic on its own, this idea around emotional intelligence, you know, it's it's one of the things that historically schools and businesses have trained and hired on hard skills. Right. I, I, when I went and got my MBA, I learned a lot about marketing, learned a lot about finance, learned a lot about operations. I didn't learn much at all about people. That wasn't part of the curriculum. And one thing we've, we've learned over the last probably decade or so is that the, what, what some people call soft skills, really we should be calling those social and emotional skills. And we've come to learn that those are actually more important than the technical skills or even your just general intelligence. There are studies out there that show that emotional intelligence can be two times more impactful to your overall career success than those other things of hard skills, of technical skills, of intelligence. And we also have have research that tells us that when a leader, a manager has high emotional intelligence, his people or her people are, are, are likely going to stick around a whole lot longer. The studies show that somebody who has low emotional intelligence, if they are a manager of people, their people are going to be four times more likely to leave the organization than if they have that high emotional intelligence. So the, the fact that we haven't done this, this kind of training, this kind of knowledge transfer over the years, um, you know, it's 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 something that I think we can can be making a difference in right now, every day. It, it it seems to me, based on the conversations that we have and the studies that we see, that people are starting to realize this in a much bigger way. That in fact, yeah, these social skills, these emotional skills, these things are the things that we need to be training, in addition to the technical skills. 
Well, I think the first step might be to stop calling them soft skills. And I'm starting to see of you know very small uh, uh, challenges by different people to acknowledge that they're not soft skills. And the three of us know that. And I think most of our listeners know that these are not soft skills. And in fact, they intimidate a lot of people because they know they're hard to learn, right? It's hard to learn how to be empathetic. It's hard to learn how to show higher emotional intelligence. It's not soft and simple and just five minutes of lessons and you'd be all set. So I think we need to first stop calling it that and then start focusing on how to make greater progress. We're going to pause in our conversation with Brett Cooper and Evans Kerrigan and ask that you join us during our next podcast, where we will continue to talk about the impact of bravery in the workplace. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. If you have something to say, yet are not saying it. If you have something to do, yet are not doing it. Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.